This is Music in the Key of Geneva. I'm Kelly Walker. Music in the Key of Geneva is an ongoing project of the Geneva Historical Society. Museum curator John Marks has been researching all kinds of music and musicians around Geneva and presenting what he's found around town and online. Since 2011, Geneva has hosted a summer music festival. The Geneva Music Festival brings internationally acclaimed artists to venues throughout the Finger Lakes. Its founders are themselves accomplished musicians and Geneva natives. Jeffrey Hurd, Hannah Collins, and Elliot Heaton grew up and began their musical careers in Geneva. Those careers have taken them away from the Finger Lakes, but they return each summer to bring their music to audiences and to a new generation of young musicians. It's kind of amazing that we can start an interview like this with a huge congratulations because all three of you just assumed these new positions in the last year, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. How's it feel? How, how, was, how was the first year in, in when did you start with? with... Uh, this is my first, my season started in the fall. So. And you all are just finishing your first semesters? Yep. That's right. All right. How'd it go? It was great. I I think I think uh, I much I enjoy working in music and being a professor and teaching much more than being the student. So it was a nice shift for me. You know, I I know you principally as a performer. Was teaching something that you had envisioned doing? I think most musicians. I was always pretty realistic about it, and I think most musicians are going to teach at some point in their career, and it's just something I always kind of enjoyed i like working with people and helping them achieve what they want to achieve and i've always found it really rewarding what about you hannah had you considered going the teaching route um i I don't think i spent a lot of time thinking about it as one route versus another route um i've had a great time this semester and it's been an interesting shift in perspective like you know jeff was saying that it's it's um I've been spending a lot of time this this fall thinking about all of the teachers that I had. And I think that's one of the best ways to prepare to become a teacher is having the opportunity to work with a bunch of different, you know, great teachers that have different styles and have different things to say. So I've spent a lot of time this this semester hearing things come out of my mouth that I recognize (laughs) from my own childhood or my, you know, youth or college days or grad school days. So it's been kind of a nice few months of reflecting on all of that. Does that include any of the teachers that you had here in Geneva growing up? Absolutely. So who are we talking about then? Um, Actually, my first cello lessons, the early days of having cello um, lessons were here in Geneva, and it was a teacher from Ithaca named Lois Darlington, who now lives in New York City, and I actually reconnected with her recently. She came to a concert that I played in New York last spring. Um, But a lot of my first lessons and group lessons with some of the other cellists my age were in Jeff's living room. Um, really? So that's, that's, that's the place, that's the setting for some of those early um, memories. How did, how did that come about? Were these like group well, lessons? It, or? She, yeah, she, she, the teacher Lois lived in, I think she lived in Ithaca or near Ithaca and came to Geneva because there was this 
um, group of, of kids interested in learning how to play the cello. And at that time, there was no St. Peter's Arts Academy yet, and there, you know things were still developing. So Jeff's older sister, Caroline, was one of those. Was she an ITE person? Or, she uh, was sort of related, but not, re- okay. yeah, not strictly ITE. Um, but yeah, Jeff's sister, Caroline, played cello too, and a couple other kids are my same age. So the parents kind of grouped together and helped to host those teachers when they came into town. That's amazing. How has your first season been progressing? How's it going for you? Uh, it's going well. So this is this is my first year not being in school. Um, so that's a little strange after having taken lessons like at least once every week since like age three. <laughs> um, and now all of a sudden I'm just like, you know, practicing into the void and like, you know, <laughs> deciding what aspects I, I want to work on myself and Focusing more on um, performances that aren't run by an instant, like at the school, you know. So I'm, you know, focusing on getting our orchestra ready to play Carmen really well, rather than focusing on getting my Brahms sonata sounding really good. So that it's been a different kind of work for me so far, um, and it's really fun, you know, just to do something that. I don't necessarily, um, I, I don't have that much experience with and it, just figuring it out as I go along. Um, it's, it's been very, I feel like challenged and engaged in new ways. So that's cool. I think of all three of you as a group of peers because I know you principally through the music festival. Were you pretty close in, are, are you close in age? Were you pretty much going to school together as you were growing up in Geneva? Pretty close. I mean, Hannah's, what, two, are you a year or two years? I guess you're two years older than I am, and am I two years older than Elliot? Elliot and I used to play, like, football after school every day. <laughs> yeah, we're next-door next neighbors. Door neighbors. <laughs> yeah, we're next-door neighbors, so, and also his his brother played the cello, and mm-hmm. Henry was, was quite a good cellist, and, and we played music together, but we, we would go outside and beat each other up every afternoon, you know, it was, it was good. I guess I was, I was more aligned up with Jeff's older sister, Caroline, and Elliot's older sister, Sophie. So they were my musical friends mm-hmm. as a kid. When I first started taking those lessons, I think maybe you were not quite articulating your thoughts yet. I, yeah, that's <laughs> maybe true. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think then that it's the closeness? I mean, your families are close, you all are, are close in age and are classmates, and, and there are all these connections. Is that part of what made it possible to bring together what is, I think, really an ambitious music festival in a relatively small community? I think that's part of it. Um, certainly, uh, we've, we've had great support since day one, and there's always been people in Geneva who are supporting the arts and supporting the music. So we had... Um, I kind of got the idea because um, Elliot's dad was on the board. I... I forget what organization that was, but they had a like a a concert series that brought home a Geneva artist each year, and so they were bringing us back from time to time. And I just had the idea: there's already some support to do this, so why don't we make it a thing? And of course, because we were able to meet up and we already knew each other, and and we're just like want to come home and play some concerts. That keeps our costs really low as we're getting started, and and certainly gave us a a really good launching pad that you might not have somewhere else. Another interesting thing I would say is that, you know, Geneva is a small community, but the, the professional classical music world is a really small community, too. Mm-hmm. So even as we've, you know, sort of 
flown away and gone off to pursue our careers. We've had so many shared experiences. Um, Jeff and I both studied at Yale at different times, so we have these mentors in common. Um, we all were involved with a music festival in Maine, the Kaneza Hall Music Festival, which is, you know, what, 100 years old or Something over like 100, that. you know, yeah. it has a long history. And we've even had people at those places um, uh, say to us, like, you guys are all from Geneva, New York. What's going on there? What's in the water? Um, but, you know, we've been able to keep in touch by coming home, but also through our you know, overlapping circles in the profession, I would say. I have to think that as you've met your peers from around the country, you probably don't run into people from towns your size who have as many friends that they're still working with professionally. And I may be wrong about that. Uh, like sometimes if you notice that there are a lot of good players from a certain area, you can like trace them all back to one teacher or like one program. And at least like, I felt like the ITE program mm -hmm. was like really, really good. Um, and they used to come here every week and give lessons. So like just to get that, you know, really good quality early instruction, I think is, is very helpful because it's hard to make that up later in life. So, And I'm not familiar with it. What is the ITE or was the ITE program? It's Ithaca Talent Education. It's mm -hmm. a Suzuki-based uh, program that focused primarily on violin, at least here. Um, yeah, and actually an excellent program. A lot of great students. They've had students go on that now play in the Met Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. I mean, they have they have people doing all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, I think we were really lucky to have that quality of instruction when we were young. But I mean, that does come back to that there was a lot of interest here to do that, and so that speaks to the to the community and the um, what what's important to the community. I think. Yeah, I would say for. It, for me, it's like concentric circles. You know, we, we each had families that were interested in music. You know, you mentioned there's no orchestra program in our schools, um, but our parents helped to connect us with where those programs were. You know, our, our parents and our families helped to connect us to ITE, yeah. where my sister was a violin student, um, to find, you know, the Rochester Philharmonic Youth Orchestra was another organization um, that we got connected to to find teachers that would, you know, help us. For a while, I was taking lessons at the Folk Art Guild from a cellist there, and eventually in Rochester uh, with Stefan Royce, who was the principal cellist of the Rochester Philharmonic. And everybody, as their education developed, you know, our families kind of helped us find that next step or that next connection. Um, and, and also just connect us to the other arts things that were going on in the community, going to see orchestra concerts or films at the, you know, Smith Opera House. Um, you know, all of our parents are involved with things like Geneva concerts or Geneva community projects. You know, your deaf parents are, you know, neck deep in helping this festival run. Yeah. Um, all sorts of different things like that. So we, have, we had that, we were lucky to have that that kind of first circle, which connected us to a second circle, and then get out into you know schools and connect to a wider circle. So, and, and when we were growing up, I mean, there was really a huge program for violin here. I mean, all our siblings took yeah. lessons. I mean, so many, almost all our our circle of friends in in hi, high school and middle school, all my friends took took lessons. So when they've gone on to, into a you know, countless different career paths, but it was a big thing here when, when we were growing up to take music lessons, and 
And I think that translated into having some people who followed it as a career path. And I think you also put your finger on something that, you know, I know all of your parents who have been, you know, they, they, they speak in such glowing terms about what you're doing. They're so excited for what you're doing. At no point, I think, did any of you, and I could be, again, could be wrong about this, but I don't think at any point any of you had to go to your parents and say, I want to make music for a living and have them go, no, you know, there's something to be said for accounting. Did, did, oh. I think everyone has to do that if they want to do a career in the arts. There's like at least one uncomfortable conversation. Like, really? And you're like, yeah, really. Really? Um, so, so Murray I mean, wasn't necessarily completely down with the, with the career in music? No, but it's just something you want to be You need to be clear that about. I think I you can know, do when you're this. In, when you're in high school or college, you're like playing all these concerts and you're like, yeah, this is this great. Is awesome. Everyone likes this. Yeah. Like, I want to keep doing this. And it's helpful to have someone be like, it's hard to do this and, you know, pay your rent every month um, <laughs> if you're not willing to, you know, 100% devote yourself to it. Yeah, I think other career paths, If you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you have just as many choices to make about what kind of doctor, what kind of lawyer you want to be. But there is a sort of formula that, that everyone understands. If you're going to be a doctor, you're going to go to medical school, you'll do your residency, you'll get your certification, and then, you know, you'll either join a hospital or practice. And if you say something like that to a teacher or a parent, they sort of get the picture right away. So I think with, for me, at least with arts and music, there are just a few more questions like, okay, what, what's that going to look like? Um, I will push back slightly. In my experience, I don't know anybody who intends to become a doctor who point blank has somebody come to them and say, could you come practice medicine for me? I can't pay you, but it'll be really good exposure for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think a career in music, like Hannah said, just has a lot of questions and it, it's you have to find your own path. I mean, I recently saw this picture. It was taught as a, a meme about getting a PhD and there's like this big PhD the path to a PhD is this big squiggly line and I was thinking man the path to a career in music I mean it just is it's it's just crazier than that because you, when you finish your degree in music there's so few jobs there were maybe 10 jobs or something that I would be interested in the entire country last year and of those I mean 10,000 other violinists were interested in the same thing. So there's no guarantee I'm going to get those jobs. And it's even, you know, the educational aspect is just, it's so much an independent project. Yes, you have teachers, you have mentors, but you really have to find your own path and what, what's meaningful to you and where you, what you want to pursue. You have a lot of choices about the kinds of music that you will make and the way that you will make music, but you have specifically chosen. There's there's no question that you have interests outside of classical music because I think one of the things that really distinguishes the Geneva Music Festival is its embrace and enthusiasm for non-classical music as well. You know, whether it's bringing in tango or jazz or, you know, any of what you've done so far. Do you, do you pursue personally other musical styles even in your work right now and 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 what what you know how do you really see yourself musician or classical musician well i think the the best way to like on a string instrument to gain the most facility on the instrument is to go through classical training you know if you can play all the notes of a romantic concerto you can play all the notes of like a bluegrass tune or you can you know get around enough to play a jazz solo but the 
so I think like we when you go to music school you develop that kind of facility but it's kind of it's all directed towards or I guess more classical repertoire but that includes like early music contemporary music but only certain kinds of contemporary music usually in like in your training but then once you've got that skill you're kind of free to do whatever you want with it I think um which is not always something that people are wanting to explore but like for me I I really enjoy like different kinds of music and I I enjoy listening to a lot of different kinds of music um and I feel like I should be able to do it on the violin because I can like I know I can play anything of it like physically I'm able to but the question is like you know it's it's not like you can pick it up immediately um it's something you know we have to practice our Mozart sonatas for a very long time to get the right style and the right sound and it's the same case with any other kind of music you know just because just because uh we're maybe more technically able doesn't doesn't mean that we're just able to be like okay now i want to play you know irish fiddle music here i go because um, yeah. there are people who have spent their whole lives figuring out how to do that by the way, Elliot's actually really good at fiddle music and bluegrass music. And jazz and pride. And jazz. His his grandfather, I think, was in a in a he yeah. was a fiddler, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, so I, I grew up doing like some bluegrass stuff and then in, in graduate school I did a jazz minor. One of my favorite moments in covering the festival for the radio station was not just seeing uh new morse code right mm -hmm. it wasn't just coming out to talk to you about that ensemble but seeing you doing a session for the kids and basically having an opportunity to get in front of the kids and say point blank yes i play classical music as classical music is defined but we also make our own music it sounds like this it's different than anything that you've heard it's fun it can be interactive it can it can explore music in ways you probably even haven't thought about music and that was one of the things i really appreciated because music of that kind can be perceived as inaccessible you made it anything but inaccessible in front of a group of kids that way i think a lot of the impulse to to talk to children or students about music in that way comes from our own sort of self-reflection like i should really be thinking about music more this way you know there's it's I'm sure you guys can relate like a lot of classically trained musicians if someone says hey can you play this piece you kind of feel like you've been caught with your pants down you know it's like <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean that piece like I haven't been visualizing that for three months and practicing yeah. it every day you know but yet we've been practicing our instruments for over 20 years and we we do know where all the notes are mm -hmm. and so um that is a you know kind of stereotype of a classically trained player that you know where all the notes are but only in certain orders you know but um <laughs> so part part of my own you know work with mike compatello the percussionist in new morse code is to just make sure that we are still relating to our instruments as as um you know, independent of certain repertoire, but just as things that we can play with. And the other aspect of it is that we like to work with composers who are just as, you know, well-versed and trained in the, in the canon and the classics and the whole history of music as we are, but they're using that information to create new things. And for those new things to appear on a stage, they need us. So that's, that's kind of the relationship there. I did want to say also, like, I feel sometimes people don't really ponder 
the significance of the fact that it, like any standard high-level conservatory education, for a string player at least, you're studying about 300 years worth of music from you know Russia, from Italy, from the U.S., from you know, and and it's true that it's it's sort of Western classical, and there's a core repertoire, of the big giants of Mozart and Beethoven. But if you think about it, like a visual arts class, that would be like the craziest cl- class yeah. to study. You know, Hungarian, you know, music from the 1940s in the same go as you're studying Italian Renaissance art. You know, and and that's the kind of range of things that's already happening in the in the conservative standard education. So I, you know, it doesn't seem like that crazy <laughs> to go 20 years later and enter in the 21st century and add something from that collection too. How does all of this relate then back to sort of the artistic philosophy of the Geneva Music Festival itself? Because that's that's one of the things that I think you're very good about communicating that, you know, we, we mentioned it before, you're not just going to hear the classics, you're going to hear different styles and such. Where was that? Was that pretty much the idea from day one? It's always been kind of my goal. Uh, it kind of relates to our previous conversation of of how to become a how to make your living as a classical musician. And I'll be honest, like I really love classical music. That's what I listen to. Like that's that's where my passion lies. My friends pick on me because I don't know very much pop music, and <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just like a big classical music geek. Um, but I think as I've been thinking about how to make my own career in music and then how the next generation of classical musicians are going to make their career in music. I think uh, the big challenge, if you want to consider that, would be to make yourself relevant to the community that you're in. It's not really so much of a challenge, but you have to be open-minded and and want to embrace a lot of different things. And so when we were planning out an entire music festival season, we know that in Geneva, yes, we have some people who love classical music and and follow classical music and and play classical music that are going to be coming to our concerts. But if we want to draw a full audience and really become a, a relevant institution to a lot of people in the town, like a, a, a point of pride for an entire community, we need a, a broader range of things. And so I'm trying to, I think the first thing we ever did, as far as that goes, we brought in a bandonian player, J.P. Joffrey. That was our first kind of foray into experimentation with other kinds of music and it was a big hit i mean people just love this and and the the tango repertoire was sort of a crossover between you know classical music and spanish dance music um it was just a big success and we've we've expanded since then we've we've had him back we've done jazz concerts now we do bluegrass every year and i at the end of the day we just want to be relevant to a lot of different people and we have a lot of fun doing it and, and playing these kinds of music each each summer. I think I like to hear what Jeff's been cooking up each year because there's also something more direct than that, which is when someone's amazing at what they do, it's incredible to listen to and to watch. And JP's a great example. I mean, this guy is touring China and Korea and, you know, internationally, and he's basically one of the best people out there. Yeah. So I, when Jeff says, you know, this guy's amazing, we have to bring him it almost doesn't even matter exactly precisely what the genre is. If someone can appreciate, like you're saying, just an ability to play an instrument like that or to create music like that, you know, someone who's world-class is going to be fun to watch no matter what precise repertoire they play. And, 
and that is kind of how we've done it. We've and sometimes I'll send out an email. Hey, do you guys know anybody who's you know really awesome at you know you know doing something a little bit different? I Hannah floated the idea of Tom Bergeron, who she knew from the Academy at Carnegie Hall, and and he ended up being a huge hit and just an incredible jazz artist and really kind of flexible artist too with all the crossover work he does with classical music. So we just kind of try and find what we think is most interesting and bring it here. And I think this is one of the reasons why. Certainly when I talk to people about the festival, one of the reasons to really support a festival like this is I know that when I saw JP the first time, which was out at Ravines, one, I had never listened to him before. There were people in the crowd that night who went because it sounded interesting, who had no idea the quality of musician that they were seeing in an incredibly small and intimate space and the number of opportunities you have to see him in a space like that. If you see him in a major metropolitan area, you're going to see him in a very large hall because he can draw to a very large hall. The idea that you can see him with a hundred people in the slate barn at ravines, there are people who are fans of his, I'm sure, who would have been very happy to have seen him in that kind of a setting. And that's that's kind of a remarkable thing about a festival like this in a relatively small community. You're going to play in intimate spaces and bring people a quality of music that they don't always get in an intimate space like that. Is it too early to talk about the 2017 festival? No, we, we have a lot of stuff lined up. Let's Let's walk through a little bit of it. Well, the first week for me is kind of a reunion of all my friends from Cleveland, basically. In my high school, when I went, I went to Cleveland for my last two years of high school to study at the Cleveland Institute of Music, and um, then I stayed there for my college and masters. And it's just a, it's a bunch of the coaches uh, that I had the Cavani String Quartet. In a way, actually, the Cavani's might be the whole reason this music festival ever came about because they were. I mean, they're crazy about chamber music. I, they love chamber music. They think everybody should play chamber music, and they they think it's this force for good in the world, basically. And so at CIM, chamber music is such an important thing that everybody takes part in. And so they're going to be joining us. They're actually opening the festival on the first Thursday. I think it's June June 1st or June 2nd. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Um, they they're opening the festival and that same week we also have a colleague of mine Jinju Cho who I went to high school with and then was at CIM with and we both studied with Paul Cantor um she's since we went to high school together she's gone on to win the Indianapolis International Violin Competition the Montreal International Violin Competition the Buenos Aires International Violin Competition she's you know up and coming soloist really one of the top violinists of her generation um, and she's coming in to play with us that week. So that first week is kind of this Cleveland reunion that's going to be really, really exciting for me. Um, the second week, it's sort of based around the idea of jazz. We have two great jazz bands coming in for, which is kind of our branching out this year. We're, we're reaching out to jazz and having this kind of homage to jazz. And so we have Tom Bergeron coming back. He was here two years ago. And also the 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 guitarist who played with him, Jason Ennis, uh, has his own band and he called Lavaz de Trey, and they're they're coming and they're playing a concert um, on the second Friday of the festival, and they're joined by oboist Paul McCandless, who's one of the the top jazz oboe players around. There there are not a lot of jazz oboe players, so it, <laughs> while it may be a small subset to work from, that shouldn't take away from the fact that Paul McCandless has been a significant figure in this music for 40, 
probably closing in on 50 years. I mean, this is somebody who, when I was a little baby jazz fan, was already a well-established and somebody that you did not miss. That's amazing. Where, What venues will Paul be playing in? Um, he's going to be playing at the Gearn Center in Froelich Hall. Same thing. I mean, to see him in a room like that, in that intimate space, is amazing. There is some talk that he may stay through the weekend and, and play on Tom's concert as well, as well, which is Sunday afternoon at Geneva on the Lake. Um, but we're not sure yet. So, but, so <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, so, so he has some secret. You know, we'll have some announcements coming up. Um, and then we'll also be playing some chamber music that week. And I'm toying with the idea of looking at chamber music and classical music that's been impacted by jazz in some way. But I'm not sure that's going to happen yet. So that's just a little sneak preview, but can't promise anything. What else? Anything else that you've got lined up at this point? The final week, um, some of our kind of GMF favorites, Ani Kavafian and Clive Greensmith are returning. Uh, that's the week Hannah will be joining us. We have a new Morse Code concert that week, which will be great. They're going to finish, I think... And Hannah can talk a little bit about this. They're going to be finishing a project that they started recording sounds from the Finger Lakes area and, and incorporating that into their music. They they presented that for the first time at Billsboro. Maybe two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. I'm going to come in with a, with a string quartet of people to do all the educational programs before the festival starts. So we'll be going to more schools. We're going to retirement centers in, in throughout Geneva and Auburn and Scania Atlas area and just trying to really get this music to people who might not be able to come to an evening concert or pay for a concert. And I love the educational component because, again, you know, you all are a product of opportunities that you had in Geneva, and you're bringing these opportunities back. Who knows what that's going to yield, you know, when, when with the, the young people you're working with now. I can totally remember being a North Street School student, and this group called Baccarini came, and it was sort of a crossover string quartet. Um, and they gave a concert in the, you know, the auditorium. And it was probably part of some local concert series, and they came to do an outreach thing. And a lot of us already played string instruments by then, but we just hadn't talked to a professional. And, you know, they had us up on stage, and we, you know, we got to meet them. We got autographs, and we talked to them about what it was like to be touring and performing all different types of music. And that made a huge impact on me. And I'm sure, you know, that type of thing, especially to kids who already have a little bit of an interest in music or just haven't seen um, an instrument up close in the hands of somebody who's willing to let them, you know, take a close look at it. I mean, that's a great opportunity that, that Jeff sets up for us to go to Boys and Girls Club, you know, the schools, the YMCA, yeah. and just get some FaceTime with each other, because we love hearing from what the kids think, too. Jeffrey Hurd, Hannah Collins, and Elliot Heaton. They're the co-founders of the Geneva Music Festival. The 2017 festival runs June 1st through 18th at venues throughout the Finger Lakes. Tickets and information are available at genevamusicfestival.com. Music in the Key of Geneva is a production of the Geneva Historical Society. Carrie Lippincott, Executive Director. John Marks is our executive producer. Music in the Key of Geneva is supported by a grant from the New York Council for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Kelly Walker. Thanks for listening.